from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights, second hour of the show. This is really the time where we can just have some fun. I mean, I know we save that for the third hour, too, but the second hour is a lot of fun, and the first hour is a ton of fun. Actually, if you miss any of the show, do me a favor. Go into your phone, go into your app section, or however you download it. Look up Cairo Nights with Jake Squire. This would be your, uh, not your apps, this would be in your podcast section. Wherever you get your podcast, look up Cairo Nights with Jake Scoreheim. It's super easy to spell, and I promise you, you're going to love all the stuff we send your way. And hey, leave us a good review, too. Can they do that? Yeah. Do it if you Star can. Star us high, leave us a review. Great. Let us know you're out there. I didn't even know that was a thing you could yeah. do. Leave us a review. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that is, of course, the voice of Matt Butler. Matt, hey, welcome hey. to News Roundup. Good to be here. Good to be here, too. All right. So News Roundup's a fun thing we like to do every night. We like to look back at all the other shows, find out what they were talking about, and then we just get to chit-chat about it. And uh, it's fun for us. Let's get to it. Seattle's Morning News, a bill to use drones to combat graffiti. It sounds very futuristic. I like it. Let's hear about it. On a vote of 96 to 1, the bill that would one day deploy drones to combat graffiti moves to the Senate. House Bill 1989 is sponsored by Republican Representative Andrew Barkis, who was on Seattle's Morning News to explain why he's taking on graffiti. In order to cover graffiti, we have to send out a crew, usually seven, eight people in a high lift truck to paint over it and everything else. There's new technology where a drone loaded up with the paint, they send the drone up, two guys can sit in the truck, operate the drone, paint over it so they can keep after this quicker and get it covered quicker. In addition, Barkas's bill would use current Department of Transportation highway cameras to identify and prosecute graffiti as malicious mischief, a misdemeanor tied to community service. We're spending over a million, almost two million dollars a year to deal with this and it doesn't seem like we're dealing with it at all. So if we can find cost measures to do it more effective uh, and get it done, I'd love to see it all covered up. If it comes back, cover it up again and just keep doing it. And people will finally just say, you know, all right, we're, we're losing the battle on graffiti on the, the people that are doing the graffiti. And we're winning the battle by cleaning up our cities again. Barkis, who also sits on the Transportation Committee, couldn't tell me if a city is currently using this technology right now, the drones with the spray paint. He said he knew of this technology and can't wait to get the bill passed. I did a Google search and two people in San Jose did win a tech competition in 2017 inventing the graffiti removal automatic drone. At the time, the mayor of San Jose said using it would save the city millions of dollars. Needless to say, we're tracking the inventors down to ask more questions. Do you, do, you, do you think this is a good idea? Oh, I think a, it's a great idea. A paint drone? I like it. I, I'm i struggling to figure... I have... Do you ever Have you ever flown drones? Uh, no, I know people who are really yeah. into drones, though. So I have a few drones. Yeah. So I've, I, I have a bunch of... My, my father-in-law got really... We got really into um, remote control airplanes. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago. Yeah. And so we have... And then he just like... Once you start him on a hobby, that man just jumps in... Feet dives first. In. Yeah, he yeah. just dives right in. He's just like, he's ready to go. So every week he'd call me up. He'd be like, hey, guess what? I got another plane. He'd like send me a picture of like, plane. and he's buying like massive planes. Like we started out with these really small planes. It started one Christmas back before I had kids. Yeah. Uh, they bought me a small remote control plane mm-hmm. and my in-laws did. And I was like, oh, this is really fun. This is cool. And I all my life dreamed of having a remote control plane. Yeah. So I thought it was really neat. Really small. The wingspan on this thing is probably only about 14, 15 inches. And then... He's like, well, I want to get one to fly with you. So I was like, great. And so then 
the following week, he's like, oh, I was at this uh, uh, model expo show and I saw this really cool plane. So I went ahead and picked it up. And they just steadily started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now I think the biggest one that we have, I think the wingspan is somewhere around 12 or 13 feet. Yeah. It's just massive. He keeps at this. He's going to need a hangar. We do have a hangar. Oh, really? Yeah. No, we do. Yeah. We have a hangar that we keep all these planes. It's just like we have a ton of these things now. And then he started buying drones. He's like, oh, we got to get drones. They're not quite as fun to me because planes... You can live the fantasy of flying a right, plane. Right, like you feel like you're piloting. Yeah, I feel like probably what John Travolta feels like when he's flying a real plane, mm-hmm. you know? Like, maybe not as cool, yeah. but I, I, like, I understand why the John appeal, Travolta wants Yeah, yeah I, I, and then I get to pretend like I'm flying this plane. It looks super realistic. Uh-huh. Drones are just kind of... They're just drones. Like there's no there's no imagination that I that I tie to it. I you don't kinda, think to myself, oh, I could like imagine myself in that drone. Yeah. Well, I guess with drones, it's kind of the other things that you can do with them. Like if you're a photography buff, yeah, it's they're the cool. Adjunct stuff, but yeah. just flying the drone itself is probably not that fun for a lot most people. The cool thing about the drones, like we have one that you can actually put on these goggles that okay. connect to your phone, oh. and then you can have the drones POV. So you can you can get the sensation it makes it wow. makes me throw up. On yeah, I bet that makes you it. nauseous. It makes you so sick. But you yeah. can get there and you can like put your headphone, you put your goggles on, and it's super realistic look because the camera's on things. It's things your eye up. in the sky, like your the, eye in the Parsons sky. project. And song. you can just go zoom and you go straight up. Yeah. You can fly all around, and it's just there's something very off putting about it. I think it's yeah. just the motion sensor or something. Yeah. That this, uh, it's not natural. Not good yeah. for me. But a paint drone, I just how much. Like how much paint? The the thing yeah, that I'm the thinking, capacity, right? Paint's, paint's very heavy. Like yeah. you've seen a oh, five gallon oh, bucket I've of paint. Paint buckets, yeah, I know. Yes, yeah. and so when you imagine how much paint they would need on these overpasses and things Surfaces like that, that big, yeah, it would it would huh. I would be surprised if it would actually be cost effective because I feel like you'd be spending so much time flying the drone back. You know what would be cost effective to have the drones patrol. And then use paint pellets and shoot the people doing the graffiti and Great. mark them. Matt, then that's pick them up. First best idea you've ever had. Thank you. Just shooting these bad guys with paintballs. Yeah, it's not tag them. They're not tag killing them or anything. They're yeah. just like shooting them with paintballs. You end up ironically get covered in paint yourself. Yeah, it feels like the punishment fits the crime. I think so. That's a good idea. Poetic Matt. justice. Yeah, that's way better than painting the walls. Send somebody out to paint the walls. I still think this is probably a long way off. This feels like kind of pie in the sky. Uh, I don't literally. know if a, uh, literally. I don't know if a drone's going to be able to do this. <laughs> the weight paint is so heavy. Paint, especially that kind of paint that like needs to be outdoors all the time. Right, weather. All the time. For, yeah, very very heavy. All right, uh, G and Ursula. They were talking about Travis Kelsey addressed something uh, with Andy. Oh, this is when he like smashed into Andy Reid. I think. Yeah. All right, let's hear about it. Travis Kelsey right now is addressing his controversial Super Bowl conduct with his own brother, Jason Kelsey, on their podcast. The broadcast showed you having a heated exchange with Coach Reed. <laughs> so heated. Yeah, where it looks like uh, you caught Big Red off guard a little bit. As he said, I gave him, I got him, I got him with a cheap shot. People are all over this, and I, I mean, I get it. I can't. Yeah, you, I, you went, you went. You cross the line. I think we can I, both I, agree. I, I can't, I can't, I can't get that fired up to the point where I'm bumping coach and it's getting him off balance and stuff. When he when he stumbled, I was just like, oh, my head. Or I, even, like, I mean, Damn. even I mean, let's be honest. The, the yelling in his face too is over the top. I think there's better ways to handle this retrospectively. Yeah, I oh, yeah, I know. I'm 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 a passionate guy. No, this is terrible. No, 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 no. This is awful. Your brother obviously gets it, and you still don't get it. You still don't get it. So this is awful. I don't even want to talk about this no more. 
Okay, well, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. I mean, I'm, okay, I, so I, I, you know this what? This is awful. Okay, let's let's pull the curtain back for a second because I'm listening to this for the first time. This is the first time I've heard that apology or that that explanation. Yeah, I'm actually hopeful. No, that, hopeful. No, no, yesterday, no, no, yes, that was terrible. Yesterday, I, I still think he has work to do. Check out what I wrote on mynorthwest.com. I, I went into depth. Well, uh, what do you think about this? So, so basically, the story is. During the Super Bowl, yeah. Travis Kelsey was apparently upset. He was not yeah, happy with the play he series that was yelling called. Yelling at his coach and bumping He's all into him, yeah. excited, and he goes over to address these issues with his coach, and he fl- comes flying in, and on camera, it looks like Travis Kelsey's kind of like almost chest bumping his coach, yeah, yeah. and there's a still shot. It's not a good still shot of Travis Kelsey looking very fired up. Oh, yeah. And kind of yelling in Andy Reid's face. And Andy Reid is standing there kind of staring straight ahead. It almost looked like the setup for a meme. And Andy Reid is staring straight ahead, looking at his clipboard and also watching the game. And he's got this, like, giant man screaming in the side of his face. (laughs) It's actually a really good basis for a meme. You could type out a lot of things on top of that. Oh, I'm already seeing them. Oh, okay. So so what do you think of this? Do you think his – do you care about this? I mean, a lot of people are trying to make it into a big thing. Like, oh, if he has this temper, if this, these are the qualities he exhibits, the traits he exhibits, then Taylor Swift should be worried about how you behave in a relationship. I'm not sure you can extrapolate it that far. I think he's a passionate player. He felt like his team was falling behind. He really wanted to see a victory, and he let the, let the emotion get the best yeah. of him. But I also think that he doesn't sound, especially in that clip, he doesn't sound like he fully recognizes the gravitas of his position, yet he's sort of... Above I, it, I, I I feel like uh, they Gene Ernstly seemed pretty uh, pretty passionate about this story. Oh, yeah. This is one of those stories that I just have a tough time caring about at all because yeah. it's a game, you know. Like the NFL is a game. This is not real life. But do this you is think- fake life. And you know, people getting very upset about this. Like football players get really ramped up. They, they get do. really excited. So he's excited. He's running down the field. He's excited, and you know, You're, like, well, it's indoor. Your adrenaline is totally. maxed out. Yes, you're. Yes. I was talking. High alert. To, I was talking about a, a friend of mine uh, asked me about this. He goes, "What do you think about this?" And I was like, "Eh, I don't know, <laughs> like, whatever." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, "He goes, well, I can kind of see why he did it because you know they teach kids who play football from a very young age to get really you know amped up. Yeah. I mean, you need to be you need to have big hits. You need to make great catches. You need to run the fastest you've ever run. Like that's what makes the games exciting. That's what drama. makes it exciting." And so, you know, to turn it off when you get to the sideline feels kind of tough. Right. It's and really hard to turn it down. I don't know. I, like- I, think people are, I think people are extrapolating it too much about his character as a person. They're making too much speculation out of it. And I would also say, though, that do you think Kelsey's becoming, because of his fame and the Taylor Association, kind of becoming a little bit of a diva? <laughs> do I think I, – I, how could you not? I mean, he's getting paid millions and millions of dollars for all these ads. Everything he does is now – scrutinized under a microscope. Everybody's watching every single thing he does. Yeah. Yes, of course. But like, I think that would happen. It would happen to me. Yeah. If like suddenly the world cared about every single thing that I did. Yeah. And every time I went out with my wife, they took pictures and said like, Oh, isn't this amazing? These are the most amazing people in the world. You should care about them so much. Mm then yeah, I would feel like yeah. I had like, you know, the Midas touch. It's and- re- it's really hard to be humble. At it's, that, at that well, yes. Status yeah. Level. Especially when you're winning Super Bowls. Year yeah. after year, it'd be tough. It'd be really tough. But I also just don't care because I don't care about Travis Kelsey and I don't care about Taylor Swift because they're not part of the Seahawks. And I hate <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs because they won and we didn't. And that's how you should feel about sports. Nobody should like these guys. If they're not part of your town, you should not like them. 
All right, uh, Jack and Spike, dealing with depression, Jack Stein has a coping strategy. Let's hear about it. What I learned is that my depression is actually my buddy, and that's he's my buddy who says, you don't got to go to work today, dude. You can hang out today, and you don't even have to shower, my guy. Like you, We can just lay in bed for like the next like seven or eight hours, and then like we'll get DoorDash, and like you don't have to do anything. If you- Who's this guy? I missed the first part. Who's this guy who's wanting to just lay around and take a shower? He's referring to his depression as his buddy, his oh, constant like a companion, or because his depression gotcha. is always with you. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. This make, that makes a lot more sense. You don't want to, and then I have to say, nah, dude, I got I to gotta at least... You gotta at least go to work today. That's I. That's what I. I know that you're trying to help me out right, right now. Right, by you're backing me. You got my back. You got my back, buddy. Uh-huh. But what I'm gonna do is I gotta go to work, and if I go to work, I gotta take a shower, right? And mm. so that means I have to do these things. You have to recontextualize. So whatever my depression buddy wants to do, I do the opposite. Does that make sense? Uh, perfect sense. So yeah. depression buddy says, "Hey man, why don't you just get like you know, those big pints of tapioca from from Whole Foods? Why don't you just get like seven or eight of those and just eat all those all day while you watch uh, reruns of uh, <laughs> you know, Maury Povich, Maury Povich, or whatever, right? Like or watch old YouTube videos of when Bob Barker was the host of The Price Is Right. Oh, and I gotta nice. go. This is what I gotta do. I gotta go. That's a great idea." But I also need to do this today, right? Okay. So what, I, okay. it's not antagonistic. It has to be relational. I use it. And so because of that, when you change the context of the relationship that you have with depression, all of a sudden it becomes a discourse rather than this burdensome or onerous entity. I... Uh love tapioca yeah i am lactose intolerant so i cannot enjoy it if Mm. somebody knows where i can get a lactose free tapioca i would greatly appreciate it because when i was growing up i know that's not exactly what i should have taken away from that discussion (laughs) i think it was a serious discussion about depression but i'd like to focus on tapioca for a second i love tapioca pudding it's so so good it is those little uh whatever those are those little the little tapioca beads beads or balls whatever they call tapioca balls they're so Delicious, and I don't know what they are, but they're kind of like a jelly yeah, or something. Yeah. So good, I like. Them and you too. know what? Like if I was feeling depressed, I'd eat that tapioca. Yeah, that would make It'd me lift feel your good. spirits. Lift yeah. my spirits. Like yeah. when I'm when I'm feeling a little blue, mm-hmm. been a long week. Maybe I'm feeling like uh, you know Jake works so hard. I need somebody to care about me. Uh, I go home and I eat a pint of ice cream. Yeah, and I love it. Yes, lactose free ice cream, which I just found out. My wife found there's a new brand of lactose free ice cream that has real flavors. Before, there was just like two or three flavors of lactose-free ice cream. You can get like vanilla and you can get chocolate. And that was basically it. And now she's found this new world of cookies and cream and mint chocolate chip and things that I couldn't eat before that I'm very excited about. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. science grand. How do you pick yourself up when you're feeling blue? Mine is food, obviously. Yeah. I like to eat food. Mine is comedy. Old cold comedy shows, reruns, just binge watching some Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, for or sure. Or some MASH yes. or something like that that's classic, that's got a tone that's warm and familiar that makes you laugh. Yeah. You know, and Jack has a point, too, because sometimes it is. There are times when I have not done things because I dread them or because my voice is like, you just don't want to go out. You don't want to do anything. You don't even want to move. But I found paradoxically, and this doesn't always work, but sometimes just by virtue of making yourself do the one thing, the rest of your day actually goes better. Like, I'm glad I got out. I'm glad I checked that thing off my list. So sometimes forcing your way through it can actually work. 
You know what's interesting? I I'm I'm uh, I count myself blessed. I'm not a person who has ever suffered from uh, depression. Right. Like, and I know that there's people who have clinical depression. Yes, I, people, I am among them. Yeah. Oh, you you're on. I, I actually am diagnosed. Yeah. So there's people who have to take medication. You yeah. understand that? I do. I have had friends who have had to take medication for for depression, and you know it's a very difficult thing to deal yeah, with. Yeah, it's a it's a battle. It's that constant dialogue. It's totally. But I wonder how much um, you know, like Jack was talking about there getting up and getting the things done that you need to versus this kind of desire to just, oh, I'm going to laze around and, and hang indulging out. Indulging it. Yeah. Indulging it instead of like, all right, I'm going to embrace, like, does routine really help with you? Like, if you just set a routine and go like, all right, I have to stick to this routine. Yes. Routines are hard to establish, but once they are established, they have made things a lot easier for Because me. then that's kind of like a bridge over depression. It's maybe. like with cleaning, where you're so depressed and you don't do anything, and then you're looking around at your surroundings, your apartment, going... This is awful. This is insurmount. This is a mountain of stuff that I have to deal For with. Sure. As opposed to establishing the routine. So then you come home and you hit the weekends like I routinely got stuff done. I can actually relax. Yeah, and you're things not just around me catch are up nice. all the time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh you know, that's a really positive, nice way to end. And we're out of time anyway, so we should end it there. Matt Butler, uh, thanks for hanging out, man. Always a pleasure. All right, this has been News Roundup. We got a lot more coming up on the show. Stick around, we're gonna be right back here on Kyra Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scoreheim. All right, welcome back to Cairo Nights. You guys have heard me on this show many, many times talk about my kids. As I have mentioned countless times, much to the chagrin, many of my listeners who text in and say, quit talking about your kids. Uh, but I can't. It's just, I don't know, it's just like my whole life, so I can't stop talking about them. This is my place to complain. That's why they hired me on here. So I could come on here, I could complain to you guys about my kids and you guys are supposed to help me with that. That's what this is. This is free therapy. So I wanted to talk to a couple of friends of mine. They have kids who are just a slightly older than my kids. And so I thought it would be fun to just like have them down here. So I have my buddy, Paul. Paul, hello. Hola. I have my buddy, Nate. Hey, Jake. Good to have you guys. Yeah, it's great. See. This is this is kind of like, I thought we'd do kind of like a panel, you know, where we're just like on the, like, like you it. look at major news networks. You bet. You bet. CNN. They have a ton of people. Uh, Fox News, they have a ton of people. But on our show, it's just me. Like on my, I even called R to make it sound more people, but it's just me. It's just my show. So I thought it'd be fun to have you guys down here and I can ask you guys questions. You can give me advice as parents. I like it. Does that sound good? <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like the first line of uh, like, uh, like in a battle scene. We're out in front in the yes. parenting. We fall in. No, no, no. We- no, no, no. Jake's out in front. We're behind saying, go forward, go forward, go forward, <laughs> go true. forward. Well, yeah, got, that's a great idea, Jake. You, got, you and, try that. And people yeah, may it. recognize Nate's voice. Nate was a guest once, maybe yes. about, what, two months ago? Yeah, I think about that, talking two, cycling. Two and a half months ago, talking about cycling. You bet. You have a very, fi- uh, on this show, you have a very famous injury yes. in your nether regions. Yeah. And I won't tell everybody what that is, but. <laughs> they can go back and listen to the go podcast back and listen to if it. they want to. But all I want to say is you are a person who now has just one. Testicle. Testicle, yeah. Oh. You said it. <laughs> That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> that's right there. it. That's I mean, that's it. Actually, you had a horrible biking accident. Yeah. And it yeah. ended. Yeah. So it was bad. But the story of how he got that uh, single, uh, I don't know if he, yeah, testicle, we can say it, uh, is very, very funny. So you guys should listen to that and check it out. Find it on the podcast. All right. So here's the situation that I find this morning in my house. So every day is kind of crazy. Uh, I wake up. One of my kids inevitably always wakes me up at like 5.30 a.m. You guys are probably past that stage. No. Paul, how old are your kids? 
Seven to fourteen. Seven to fourteen. And the the, the seven year old every day. Every day you're still getting. She's waking me up. Boom, boom, boom. All right, Nate. Your kids are older. Yeah, though. I'm lucky. I'm at the eighteen and fifteen stage. So I'm like on Christmas morning. I'm waking them up at like nine a.m. saying like, it's time away. to open. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So I'm the yep. I've been there though. So my kids always. One of them. I have three boys, as you guys know. I have three boys, and one of them always wakes me up super early. And this morning, my oldest son is super excited because last night. He had a basketball practice, and he got, like, player of the practice. I don't know why they did this, but they decided to give out uh, yo-yos every time somebody's oh, no. player of the practice. <laughs> now, I don't know why. Practice? Like, giving eight-year-olds yo-yos <laughs> seems like right. a dangerous yeah. idea to me. Uh-huh. So uh, he shows me this yo-yo this morning, but he is he has never done a yo-yo. I don't know okay. why. Yo-yos were huge when I was a kid. Yep, yep. And I remember doing them all the time. Sure. And But a yo-yo is a thing that he's never done. And so he's like, how does it work? And and so I'm like, oh, I can actually show you. And this is like pretty great, actually. So I, because I have this ability to make it go up and down. Right. I can also You're walk. a master. I'm a master. <laughs> yeah. I can walk the dog. Uh-huh. I can also do the cradle thing. Do you guys know yeah. the cradle oh, thing? Oh, yeah. Cats, uh, yeah. It's, it's not cats in the cradle. It's not in the baby. cats in the cradle, but no, it's like no, no, a baby, baby cradle. cradle or, baby, rock it, rock the cradle. Baby. Rock the baby. Yeah. Baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth. So I can do that, and so my kids, my like all three of my sons, they're eight, six, and four. They're standing there watching me, and I go, "Oh, watch this, guys!" And I go, yeah. and I, so I make it like stall, yeah. and then I whip it back up. You flick your finger, and it comes sure. back to you, and then I walk the dog, and they just go, "Their minds are blown." Dad is a magician, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Why have you been keeping this from us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, the respect in my children's eyes that I have never seen before, just for mediocre yo-yo tricks. Yeah. Was like yes. nothing I've experienced, yes. and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna chase this feeling. I'm gonna keep this going. <laughs> you ever seen Rock the Cradle? <laughs> and like, I tried an Eiffel Tower, and that yeah. didn't work yeah, out, but sure. they were still yeah, thrilled yeah. by it. So I'm trying to teach them all now, one by one, how to like. And it's, I mean, it's impossible to teach a kid to yoga. It's a feeling. It's almost like whistling. You can say, here's what it looks like to do it right. Yeah, put your lips together, right, and blow. shape it. But at the end of the day, they have to feel it and do it. They can't. Yeah. They can't. They just right. can't. Yeah. Yo-yo. Yeah. And so this ruins their morning because they have just watched me do amazing tricks. Yeah. Show me the magic, daddy. And then <laughs> yeah. now they want to know how the magic yeah, is done. Yeah. And so then I end up, I'm like, I'm chasing these kids around when they should be eating breakfast, getting ready for school. Now I'm chasing them around because they're swinging yo-yos over there. <laughs> one yo-yo. And I'm like, put the yo-yo down. And I'm just having, I'm like just an out-of-body experience because the, the level of, you guys understand this as parents. Yeah. But the level of chaos yes, that yes. they can achieve in a very short period of time yep. is not something that you are ready for until you have kids. And even then, you're not ready. And you, and you just can't expect it. You can't plan for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, like, when does the yelling, I yell every single day. Yes. I'm screaming at these kids every <laughs> single day. And I'm just wondering, now, Paul, you have two girls. So yeah, your opinion yeah. on this is not as valuable. If it's higher pitch, though. <laughs> That's true. When does the yelling stop? Many parents would tell you it stops when you stop yelling. Oh, has your amen. wife ever said, "Well, the reason why they're yelling is because they learned it from you"? Do you ever hear that? Yes, she's yeah, yes, I have heard that. Okay, well, you should yeah, listen. I, you should but, listen to her, he, he, dude. Here's the age. It's probably going to be five for all of them, five or above, maybe six or seven. I know, but my eight-year-old's who I'm yelling at. Right, right. And I think what wow. you're talking, and I think, Jake, because it's, they're it's all like boys. It's like a locker room mentality yes, or something. Yes, yeah. there's a level oh, that that's... one hits, and then the other one has to be heard over them. Yeah. And they kind of go over, and then you have to be heard over all of them. So then you set a new bar. 
So here's my question for you, Jake. Do you have a tone where you drop it significantly and they know that's dad's serious tone? Is that the de-escalation where you can be like, all of a sudden dad's quiet? You, usually what I have to do, honestly, because I, I do yeah. have a voice I shift into. So right? like, I'll sure, be like, all right, sure. guys, put the yo-yo down. Put the, the yo-yo zone. down. Put the yo-yo down. <laughs> you sound like Batman. <laughs> Get over here. You don't want any part of this yo-yo. Back up. Back up. Yeah. I will. I, I literally have to... I, what I what I have to do to make them stop. Yeah. There is just this synergistic thing that's happening with three of boys. Yep. Yeah. I have to remove one of them from the equation because with the three of them, it's like a it's like a, a Bermuda Triangle. Of sure. Just craziness. Yeah, absolutely. So the chaos. It need. I need to divide and conquer. So I have to literally lift one up and I take them out of the room and I place them in a different room, and then the other two are like, can start thinking straight for some reason. They can like, they're they're deprogramming or something. So it's kind of like those beta fish, you know, when you go into the- uh, Yeah, the fighting fish. The the pet shop, and there's like two pieces of glass, and the fish are trying to kill each other. But then you drop something in there, and then the fish go back to being docile. Yeah. You basically have three young male betas that scream at your house, and you just need to put dividers between them. That's a good idea. It sounds expensive. Or, Or you give them tasks. Like I, tax is a good idea. That's a like good cho- thing. Like chores. Like uh, yeah, you distract them because they're they're cycling on a topic and an idea. And if you can just get them off that train and like, hey, let's we're gonna go do this or let's go do this. That's actually really good advice. And I I have stumbled upon something similar. So like yes. this morning, everybody's going crazy. I'm scre- right. like I'm way too much screaming about a yo yo, and. My wife, you know, she comes out. She's like, "What is going on?" Yeah. And I'm like, just I'm realizing like that I've been pulled into the chaos, and I'm sure. not I'm not behaving like an adult at this right, point. Right. I'm just screaming. As, I'm You're just way the oldest than, boy out of four boys yeah, in the room. Yeah, yeah. child's <laughs> toy stuck to your finger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My wife walks out, and I'm screaming, "Drop the yo-yo!" And I'm like walking the dog across the floor. And and then I realize what I I see the scene from her point of view, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I don't know. Let me step back. Hey boys, you know, yeah. and I calm down. Yeah. I act like yeah. a great dad. But what I did was I sent my oldest son, I said, all right, go brush your teeth for school. Task. Yes. Task. Middle son, go put pants on. Yes. Task. Yes. Youngest son, you look like you got to go to the bathroom. Task. Yep. Redirect them to the goal. Send them out. Yes. Go do your things. Right. And then hopefully it all just quiets down. Yeah. So that that's when you left for work, like right after that? <laughs> right and then I said, got to go, sweetie. And I left. I just left it with her. I haven't talked to him since, so I hope they're okay. They probably that was, are. That was like two weeks ago? That, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> okay, I, yeah. I do have this picture, though. I think the first mistake as a parent was the fact that you you put one yo-yo in the midst of three boys. Yeah. Ooh, that's like one lawn dart for yeah. like eight kids at a party to play with. Yeah, exactly Everyone's right. getting stabbed. No, yeah. everyone, everyone needs a yo-yo for sure. That's, that's no, what I think no, it is. But the trick is nobody needs a yo-yo. No one At this does. age. At eight, six, and four, nobody needs a yo-yo. They don't have the motor skills. Fair. They don't have the patience. Yeah. And they're not as good as their dad. And they're very destructive. Yeah. I mean, well, they're yeah, basically no like ki- a helicopter walking through your house. Yeah, no kidding. And they don't understand, you know, inertia and momentum. It. I'm and, doing it. And you know it's just one loose finger knot away from that thing going from a yo-yo to a bolus flying but through I have the house. This, and I got to wrap this up. But, okay. like, but I have this also, this instinct where I have this special, unique skill yes. in yo-yoing. Yeah, yeah, right? you do. You can I do have hours tricks. and hours of yes. skill that I want to show these kids. I yep. want to blow their minds. I want to look like the best dad in the world. Yeah. And so my wife's sitting there. She's eating breakfast. And my kid, I'm like, all right, I'm going to show them one more trick. Well, you want to show how great of a husband you are, too, to her. Like, she's like, look at what kind of dad I am. Hun, that's right. Know. No, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. But really, I just wanted to like it's, show the it's an ego thing. I want to show <laughs> yeah. the tricks. And so I'm like, watch around the world. And I go, <laughs> like spin it around. Yeah. And it was just it was a bad way to end the morning. Um, but I really appreciate the advice. Tasks. Ask. That's what I'm taking away from Redirect. this conversation. 
And in your case, Paul, have girls. Just have, have all girls. girls. <laughs> if, yep. if you had all girls, it'd be fine. We wouldn't even be having this issue right now. No, there's all no right. yo-yos. All right, uh, that is Nate and Paul. Thanks, you guys, for hanging out. We got a lot more coming up on the show, so stick around. We're going to be right back here on Cyber Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Radio. I wanted to tell you guys a story because I found this just fascinating. Are you guys interested in Amelia Earhart? Actually, if my audience even remembers that, like, are you old enough to even remember who Amelia Earhart was? She was a famous flyer back in the 1930s. She took off for an around-the-world, I think it was an around-the-world trip, and her plane went down. And it's just this bizarre story, and she just disappeared off the face of the earth. Well, the Wall Street Journal has this really interesting piece. Apparently, there's a commercial real estate investor from Charleston, South Carolina, who thinks he may have found her aircraft after all these years. So listen to this. This is from Wall Street Journal. When she disappeared on her most ambitious trip, what she hoped would be a record-setting journey around the world, it sparked a decades-long mystery. What happened to Amelia Earhart? That's a pretty good beginning. Tony Romeo, a pilot himself and a former U.S. Air Force intelligence officer, is the latest in a string of adventurers to plumb the depths of the Pacific Ocean in search of the plane that Earhart was flying in 1937, when at the peak of her fame, she vanished. So the Wall Street Journal talked to this guy. He was a commercial real estate investor. He spent $11 million of his own money trying to uh, do these really deep-sea sonar scans to try to find uh, Amelia Earhart's Lockheed 10E Electra, which was the plane she was flying at the time. And Romeo said he has plans to return to the spot where he thinks he found her plane. And he got a really good image. You can see this. It's at Wall Street Journal if you're at all interested in going and seeing this. And the picture is really, really fuzzy. And it just looks like a sonar scan. So it's not even, you can't even really tell that it's a plane. However, it does look like the outline of the plane that she would have been flying. He says, this is maybe the most exciting thing I will ever do in my life. I don't know if that's a really good thing to admit. Uh, He says, I feel like a 10-year-old going down on a treasure hunt. And he describes for you guys how famous Amelia Earhart was at the time. Now, this she was a pioneering uh, pilot. She was a woman. And she did all these record-breaking things that were, that were amazing. And he basically says, for anybody who's unfamiliar with her, it would be the same thing. Just ima- He says, for her to go missing was just unthinkable. Imagine Taylor Swift just disappeared today. The most famous person on the earth just disappeared. So I looked into this a little bit because I didn't really know much about the Amelia Earhart flight. I knew about Amelia Earhart. I didn't know the history of it. But on July 2nd, 1937, she and her navigator, who's a guy named Fred Noonan, took off from Papua New Guinea. And right near the end of their historic trip, they had planned to refuel on this island. Now, the island was uninhabited. And so what they did was, in anticipation of her landing the plane on this island... They built a runway and they loaded up a ton of fuel so that she and her uh, navigator, Fred Noonan, could land on this runway that they made just for her and refill with all these, you know, cans of gasoline for her plane. But she never arrived. Uh, Earhart and Noonan took off from Ley into a strong headwind. That's the island in Papua New Guinea. Operators listened to Earhart's radio message as she flew across the Pacific towards Howland Island. That's the island where she was supposed to land and a half degree north of the equator. The Coast Guard said, stationed near the island, estimated that their progress by the strength of the radio transmissions, and they said that the radio transmissions were so strong when they were coming in that the radio operator went outside and looked up in the air, expecting to see Amelia Earhart land on this island, but she never did. She was never seen again. So this guy has gone down, this Tony Romeo has gone down, and he thinks he found the plane. They're going to go back out there and hopefully find it. It's in five 
thousand meters of water. So it's very, very deep. And, you know, that's probably why it hasn't been found in so long. You think about how long the Titanic was down there, and that's the ship the size of the Titanic. This is just a tiny little aircraft. So it's, you know, pretty, it makes sense why they haven't found it. As I was looking into this, though, I was interested in what Amelia Earhart sounds like because I have never actually heard her speak. I've seen countless pictures of her. I know that there's that movie with Hilary Swank who played Amelia Earhart that uh, people seem to love, but I've never actually heard her. So, because this is radio and it's an audio medium, I went back and I found an interview that Amelia Earhart did with the BBC right after she became the first woman to complete a solo transatlantic flight. Now, the audio is a little fuzzy because it's very, very old, but it's kind of interesting. Here it is. How far out were you when you first had the engine trouble? It wasn't exactly engine trouble. I, it was the exhaust only, the exhaust manifold. I should say I was three hours out of Harbor Grace. Where did you actually make your landing, Mr. Huff? I cruised inland until I found a suitable pasture. I landed there after frightening all the cows in the neighborhood and rolled up to the farmer's front door. Who was the first person you saw? The owner of the land came out. I think he was surprised to find an airplane in his front yard. I'll bet he was. I should have felt much more responsible had anyone been with me. It was really a relief to be alone. What are your immediate plans, Mr. Hart? Well, I hope to go to Rome to the conference of transatlantic flyers in a few days. And then shall we be thinking about going home? Yes, it's time for me to go home then. I love the music that they put at the beginning and ending of that. Uh, so that's Amelia Earhart. In case you're wondering what she sounded like, there it is. Uh, so they might find her plane, and if they do, I'll let you know. I know you guys are on the edge of your seat to find that out. All right, we got a lot more coming up next hour. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's our third hour. It's where we really get to chill out, just uh, have a good time. So stick around for that. We're going to be right back here on Kyra Nights. Nights.